Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, my self-lovers. Welcome to another episode of the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I am here today with Melody Godfred, who is the self-love philosopher. As a poet, author, and speaker, she is devoted to empowering people to love themselves and transform their lives. Her poetry has been featured by Oprah Magazine and Today with Hoda and Jenna, among others, for its wisdom and ability to deeply resonate and uplift. She is the author of the ABCs of Self-Love, Self-Love Poetry for Thinkers and Feelers, and her new poetry book, The Shift, is out now. Melody, welcome to the show, and congratulations on publishing yet another self-love book. Thank you so much, Mary. I am so happy to be here with you. I'm so grateful that you're here because your book, especially Self-Love Poetry for Thinkers and Feelers, I was seen everywhere for over a year, a couple years actually, and I was so inspired by it, by your words and the structure of the book, and I'm grateful that you decided to take it again and talk about something a little more specific with the shift in terms of like what we all went through in the pandemic because I don't think that that many people are well enough to write about it yet. Mhm. It's unbelievable how we've all just continued and we get up every day and we live our lives and yet we went through this deeply traumatic and unprecedented experience and I don't think we talk about it, like the toll it took on our feelings, on our thoughts, on the structure of our lives, on our relationships. And at least for me, writing the shift during the pandemic was my way of feeling like I had some control over how I felt, as opposed to just being a victim to this thing that happened to all of us. And so I'm really excited to share with others how I was able to shift my perspective to take what was a very grim and challenging time and transform it, at least for myself, into something I could view through the lens of love, of hope, of gratitude and joy. Yeah, I think most of us were just so grateful that we somehow moved past it, that we kind of very abruptly stopped talking about it, even though at a certain point it was all we ever talked about. I think about like, you know, that's got to have had done something to our brains, that whole two, two and a half year experience. I think you're right. And in The Shift, one of the poems I write about, I say that my resilience is simply the stain my grief left behind. And I think we've all had to be so resilient, but even resilience is a challenging thing to carry. And how do we now find a way to move even beyond resilience to actually living again? Mm. What has that been like for you? Like, What were some of the bigger struggles during the pandemic and how do you feel like you're moving past them? I think for me, one of the biggest things is that I don't know that until the pandemic happened, I was ever fully aware of my health. 
it's always something that was kind of in the background. Like, you know, we grow up, we try to make healthy choices, we try to take care of ourselves. And for me, I had already been writing about self-love and self-care and had made many changes to start prioritizing my well-being. But it wasn't until the pandemic that I really understood how precious health is and how precious it is to simply be alive and not be in pain. And so that was a big thing for me, just truly coming face to face with how precious our lives are and how precarious our health can be. My family, one of the poems I write about it, we went to the hospital six times in two years. And funny enough, none of it was actually COVID-related, except for one that I have a peculiar feeling early on was a COVID reaction, but it was before they even were talking about COVID. But six hospital visits in two years really puts things into perspective for you. And then the other thing I'll say is that I'm a mother of three. Mm. And I feel like during the pandemic, I actually got to understand what that means, what it means to be a family, what it means to have quality time with your children and to be there with them every single day. Because prior to that, I was working full time and I would see them in the morning and I'd see them at night, but I wasn't spending every waking moment with them. So there was even a blessing in that. So in addition to the blessing of life itself, the blessing of recognizing I have this incredible family and what a gift to be able to spend time with them. Yeah. In terms of health, I really felt that with energy. I know a lot of people who had COVID maybe even more than one time or witnessed somebody who have it. The first thing that tanks is your energy and it feels like for months it's just not the same. I just started really, really understanding what people with chronic health go through because fatigue is such a big symptom amongst many different types of conditions. And that was the part that just really got me. I was like, every day I would wake up and I would like breathe in. And every day that I had the energy to get out of bed was a good day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think that's new. I think that's like a new perspective shift for all of us is just how lucky are we to get up and breathe today and to have, like you said, the energy to live our lives fully. Mm-hmm. And that really applies and extends to mental health because sometimes it's not physically being able to breathe, but like emotionally feeling like you can take a breath. And sometimes that can be so hard that you can't get out of bed. Did you have any moments like that during the pandemic? And if so, how did you get through them, especially with the responsibility of a family and three kids amongst so much else? You know, you asked me that question, I felt my heart tighten because it took me back to the first month or two of the pandemic when we were completely isolated from everybody, including my parents, who we normally see every day. And I felt like I was the captain of our ship and it was my responsibility to keep everyone safe. And so I would march out in my makeshift masks and like wearing gloves and like going to five, six different grocery stores and finding that like the shelves were swiped clean and I still had to find a way to like get food for my family. And I'd stay up at night looking, you know, for cleaning supplies and just like one website after the next, just trying to get lucky. And 
that urgency to survive, that desperate mental anguish about like, how am I going to protect and care for myself and my family when everything I've ever known has suddenly been turned upside down? And I think at the beginning, I played this game with myself where I said, you know, okay, it's it's March, but you know, by Easter, it'll be okay. And then Easter came and went. I'm like, okay, by Mother's Day, by Mother's Day, they're going to figure this out. And eventually I realized that like, if I keep waiting for some external thing to happen for me to feel okay, I'm going to be waiting forever. And that the only clock that mattered was the one that was internal to me. And I had complete control over that. So at the beginning of the summer, I decided that I'm no longer going to wait for things to go back to normal. I'm no longer going to promise myself that by some date, everything's going to be okay. And I'm going to figure out how can I, in this new way, make a life worth living for myself. And that became my focus is I'm not going to wait for things to go back to normal. I'm going to find a way to make what I have now more than enough. Mm, And how did you do that? Because... I can't remember the exact timeline, but did you republish self-love poetry for thinkers and feelers during the pandemic or right before? So I actually came up with the idea for self-love poetry in February of 2020. And so I actually wrote it during the first six months of the pandemic. And I had already written a lot of poetry. I mean, I had 700 pieces of poetry that I had already written that I was eager to make sense of in the form of a book. And so I originally published it myself through self-publishing in October of 2020. And it did so well on Amazon that my current editor at Andrews McMeal Publishing, Patty Rice, who is literally an angel, found me. And in November, she reached out and said, we love this book let's talk about a publishing deal. And we continue talking. And in January, you know, I still hadn't given her an answer, but I had the idea for the shift. And so I wrote a book proposal for this shift. And thankfully, they were interested in it. And we ended up signing a deal for both books, as well as the ABCs of self-love. And so self-love poetry was republished in October of 2021, a year later. And it was during that time period that I actually also started writing The Shift. Mm, So these recent three poetry books were your pandemic projects. Yes. Isn't that funny? And and that like goes back to show that the pandemic had its silver linings if you knew where to look and you knew where to spend your time. Because for me, I would never have had the bandwidth previously or allowed myself the bandwidth previously to make writing my priority because I was running two businesses, I had my kids, I was so embroiled in the rat race of life that I think all of us were embroiled in. And then the pandemic came and it was this great, beautiful pause that stripped away the speed with which we were all operating previously and forced us to slow down. And it was in that slowness that I finally had the space to really make writing my priority and writing is if you want to know like what is my authentic self destined to do it's absolutely this and it was only in the stillness of the pandemic that i allowed myself to go there mm, i love that that and that's why your 
recent book is called The Shift because there were so many shifts that we discovered. And it just goes to show how, like, obviously hindsight 2020, but also how we're so hard on ourselves in the moment. Like, we think we need to be super duper quadruple productive every single day and make the most out of ourselves. But we don't often look back and be like, wait, I actually did a lot during a very crazy time. Like we refer to pandemic as a pause, but then I look back at my 2020 and I'm like, I did so much. I don't know how, but it didn't feel like that day to day. Day to day, I was beating myself up for not doing enough. I know. I know. And I, I don't think you're alone in that. Yeah. For some reason, we always do that to ourselves. Well, it's because we live in a culture of achievement and productivity, and these are the holy grails of success. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I've really been working on personally, and one thing I work on with my children as well, is to reframe the way we view the momentum of our lives. And instead of seeing it as this linear line where you're just moving forward and you're trying to get up and up and up and up and achieve as much as you can... I challenge my children to think of it as an orb where our only goal is to get to the center of the orb and the center is your true self. So in every day, instead of thinking, am I further along on the line? Am I meeting the milestones that I'm supposed to meet? Ask yourself, am I close to myself today? And then you'll kind of reframe what achievement actually looks like to you, and you'll replace it with authenticity. And if you're being authentic, you're never behind. What do your kids say when you give them that metaphor? I'm just so curious. Like, what is it like to have a wise mother? And how do you <laughs> how do you present it to them in such a way that hopefully they keep coming back to that idea? Because I love that model of replacing achievement with authenticity instead of trying to move further along in comparison to where society wants you to be, you move closer to your core, which is like where we ultimately want to be in our hearts and souls. You just expressed that so beautifully. Thank you. I loved hearing you talk about that concept. I'm going to carry that with me. Oh my God, you you said it. I didn't no, say it. You, you said it. You, no, you, you said it back in a very beautiful way. I'll tell you, I don't think parenting is about teaching them anything. It's really about two things. One, modeling for them. It's about how you show up because they watch you like a hawk. They listen to everything you say. They pay attention to everything you do. And so if you're not really practicing what you preach, it doesn't matter what you say to them. So my first priority is how am I showing up? Because that's what they're going to really take away. And the other thing is, when they have life experiences and they come to you and they're uncertain about how to feel about it, they open the door for you to talk to them. And those are critical moments. I'll give you a great example. Yesterday, my daughter came home and she had done a math assessment at school and she got a 25 out of 30. And she timidly came up to me and showed it to me because I had to sign her test and we talked about it. And she goes, that's okay, right? I did okay, 25 out of 30. And I was like, yeah, you did great. Because in our house, one of our messages, and this is from the ABCs of self-love, is that we don't believe in perfection. We believe in progress. 
And so I was so proud to see that she didn't have shame about her 25. Like she looked at me and she's like, that's pretty good. I did good. Compare that to my other daughter who took, I have twins, and she took the same assessment a few days ago. And when I picked her up from school, she was in such a bad place. She just looked like totally depleted. And I asked her, I'm like, did something happen today? She's like, no. I'm like, are you tired? Are you hungry? What's going on? She's like, I did a, you know, a math assessment today and I didn't do as well as I wanted to do. And I'm like, well, what did you get? She's like, I got a 33 and a half out of 35. And I just looked at her and I'm like, so what is the message you're telling yourself that unless you get 100%, it's not enough? And she's like, no, you know, I just made careless errors and I can be so stupid sometimes. And she was sharing her inner dialogue with me. And it was an opportunity to remind her that in our family, we do our best. And as long as she did her best, that's more than enough. And we had a whole conversation about that, about not being so hard on ourselves, not being so focused on perfection, not engaging in negative self-talk where we call ourselves stupid or beat ourselves down for things we did in the past. And I actually shared something with her from a book I'm reading right now. It's about the Hopi tribe. And in the Hopi tribe, they have their own language. And in their language, they actually don't have any words that reference time. So they don't have words that reference the past or the future. And the takeaway is that for the Hopi people, the only time that exists is now, is the present moment. And so I shared that with her and I said, this moment that we're sharing right now, this is all that there is. So I want you to look around and tell me what you're grateful for. And she looked out the window and she goes, it's really green. Green is her favorite color. And we shifted her focus from the two points that she missed on her math test a few hours ago. And we shifted her into the beauty that was around her now. Mm. And so those are just like two examples of things that have happened like in the last 48 hours where if we are mindful enough to pay attention to our thoughts and to be aware of our values, then as citizens of the world, as parents, as friends, we can help others shift towards a more loving experience of themselves and the world. Self-lovers, guess what? Let me just take a dramatic sip of tea for some anticipation. I wrote another book. My new book, 100 Days of Self-Love, is coming to you November 1st, and this time it's a guided journal with 100 daily prompts that are meant to help you calm self-criticism and learn to love who you are. After publishing my first book, The Gift of Self-Love, a lot of you asked me for a tool that would help you build a daily practice of self-love into your life. This new guided journal was created to help you do just that. It's got 100 journaling prompts that cover all areas of life, including body, identity, purpose, relationships, and more. So you can really think of it like a metaphorical multivitamin for self-love, something to keep you going, or as I like to say, growing on your self self-love journey. Another reason I'm especially thrilled to share this journal with you is because I truly wrote it for myself. 
not only was the writing process incredibly therapeutic, but it's just so representative of where I'm at in my personal self-love journey. So you'll read all my personal musings and questions I'm pondering, and I'm just really excited to share that authentic part of myself with you. 100 Days of Self-Love, The Guided Journal, is now available for you to pre-order. It officially comes out on November 1st, but if you pre-order it now, you will be one of the first to get it. And as a thank you for being an early supporter of this book, I want to send you the audiobook for free. Just go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal and you will see all the links to pre-order. And on that page, there's also a form for you to fill out with your email. So that way, once you pre-order, you can fill out the form and I'll send you the audiobook on November 1st. So again, that's maryscupoftea.com slash journal. All the links to Amazon, Walmart, Target, any other bookstore. You can get 100 Days of Self-Love everywhere books are sold. And if you're outside the United States, check out Book Depository for free worldwide shipping. Can't wait for you to get 100 Days of Self-Love coming to you November 1st. If you pre-order, please, please, please do that. see so much of my younger self in your daughter, the one who is really upset about the 33 and a half, mm-hmm. because that, that was me. And I beat myself up so much over grades, especially, and my body even more so. But I'm wondering, not to get into the intricacies of your twins' personalities, what have you noticed is different in the way they perceive themselves, I suppose? Or like, why do you think that one of your daughters was so self-compassionate and proud of the work she did and knew she couldn't really change it and she did her best and that's that? Whereas your other daughter went straight into self-beat up. Do you think that is like something that we're born with or something that perhaps gets put on us? Or of course, it's a combination of both. But what have you observed in your kids? I'm just so fascinated. Well, I write about this in ABCs of Self-Love. The letter N is nurture your nature. And I talk about how I've had the great privilege of having this social experiment because I have two girls, they're twins. They were born the same minute and they have been raised by the same parents, same school, same friends, same everything. And so it was the perfect opportunity to see like, is it nature or is it nurture? And what I have found is that my girls were absolutely born who they are. They were born fully formed. And I can go into my thoughts on like generational trauma and like how, you know, my husband and I are biologically very different. We come from very different backgrounds and how that probably impacted our kids because really one of the girls got his DNA and one of them got mine. But putting all of that aside and just, okay, the primary thesis is that you are who you are. The second part of the thesis is it is our job as individuals and as parents to nurture that nature instead of being resistant to it or condemning it. So for my daughter, who's more self-critical, it isn't about telling her, oh, that's crazy. Like, how could you think that way? And making her feel ashamed of her natural inclination It's about giving her loving tools for living with who she is, because maybe her first instinct will always be to be a little self-critical. Maybe that is her intrinsic reaction. And 
after that reaction happens, what tools can I give her to work with that? What kind of language can I give her to speak to herself more kindly, to heal that part of herself, to embrace that as part of who she is instead of portioning it off as something she doesn't like about herself? That is the thing because my daughters are who they are. They're very different and I have to approach each of them with tools and strategies that work with who they are. And that's the nurture piece. And I'm learning every day because they're evolving every day and we are all evolving every day. And so that is our task is how do I not judge that part of myself that I don't love? How do I own it as part of my story? And how do I take care of her when she needs it? The parts of me that struggle. That makes me so emotional because I feel like I'm getting a little reparenting session in here because <laughs> loving tools and everything you said is exactly what I needed to hear. And instead, you know, I grew up with the immigrant mentality of 33 and a half. What happened to the other one and a half points? Even if it was half joking, there's obviously a message there. And I really internalized that. I am also fascinated by. Just parenting, I don't know. I mean, I do want kids of my own, and I have a younger sister that I'm really involved in her life. But aside from that, I think a part of me that's like so fascinated by like parenting tools, and my entire TikTok feed is just mom stuff and parenting stuff and um, raising emotionally intelligent kids and everything. And I think aside from the fact that I hope to one day apply those tools with my own offsprings, it also helps me like retrace my childhood and be like, oh, well, this really worked. This did not work. And this is what I learned. And it's, I don't know, it's a way that I heal by like gaining that knowledge. It's quite therapeutic. So thank you for indulging me. No, of course. And, you know, I'm also an immigrant. I was born in Iran. My parents escaped when I was three months old. And when we came here, they had to start their life from scratch. And they did their best too. And their best, uh, for better or worse, turned me into this like ultra achiever where the entirety of my worth was dependent on like the grade I got and how other people accepted me. And it has taken me now, I'm 40. Like I really feel like my 30s were devoted to unwinding that ego-driven identity and, and really making space for who my true self is. And even though my true self does like to make an impact and does like to know that my work is meaningful to the world, I'm not so obsessed with proving myself to anyone. It's more a matter of, am I of service to the world as opposed to, does the world value me? And it's just, it's a very, very different philosophy. How did you first start with your self-love journey? Was there a rock bottom you hit or some big realization that you had? What, what started you on doing this work for yourself and then writing about it for others? And also, so that we don't take this lightly, if you're comfortable, I would love to ask how your family is doing during the protests in Iran and how you're internalizing that as also a woman who was born there. I just wanted to check in personally. Thank you. Well, to answer the first part of your question, my self-love journey didn't start when I hit rock bottom. 
it started when I hit the like pinnacle peak of all my achievements and goals. What I mean by that is when I was around early 30s, I had checked off all the boxes. I was married. I had twin toddlers. I had a house. I had a dog. I had a law degree. I had started my own business. I had everything. And even though I had everything I thought I ever wanted, I wasn't happy. And that for me was so jarring because I thought that the reward you get for doing everything right and putting in the work and going to school and meeting someone and making everything happen, I thought the reward you get at the end of that is joy. And when I got there and the joy wasn't waiting for me, I was like completely thrown off guard. And what I realized is I had left myself behind. Like while I was checking all these boxes, I wasn't checking in with myself to see if I actually wanted any of it. If my true self was aligned with the choices I was making, it was all really foreign to me, my life. And so I started practicing self-love and what that meant for me at that time, because this was 2015. No one even was talking about self-love. But for me, what it meant was I deserve to be a priority in my own life every day. And I'm going to check in with myself every day and ask myself, am I aligned with myself and am I experiencing joy? And so that led to me creating the self-love pinky ring, which is a ring I wore on my pinky as a daily reminder of my commitment to myself. And every time I would look at it, I would make little bits of progress towards reclaiming myself. And that meant going to therapy. It meant starting to exercise. It meant going to museums and concerts, something that I loved to do when I was younger, but I had stopped doing because I was so worried about work and the survival of my family. And I slowly started reclaiming myself, my joy, and realizing that it wasn't that I didn't love the life I had. It's that I just wasn't present enough or connected with myself to see it. And that was where my journey started. And after I made the self-love pinky ring for myself, I thought other women must feel the same way, where they feel disconnected from themselves and they need a reminder to practice self-love and self-care. And not only a reminder, but also a community. So I created Fred and Far, my self-love movement. I created the self-love pinky ring and made it available. And over the years, cultivated a global self-love sisterhood of women who've made a pinky promise to choose themselves, honor themselves, and remember themselves daily. And that's how I ultimately found my way back to writing, because it's something I'd put on the back burner. When I went to law school, I was going to do the practical thing. I was going to have a practical career. Even though growing up, I was a writer, I was a songwriter, I was a poet, I had shelved all of that in service to the practical career, the adult career, the right moves. And it was through my self-love movement and having this beautiful community of supportive women who were committed to their authenticity that I started writing again. And that's ultimately what brought me to the moment I'm in now as a full-time poet and author. Mm, I love that approach that it's not necessarily from rock bottom. It was from the top looking back and questioning like, wait, is this it? It reminds me of the Jim Carrey quote where he said, I hope everyone becomes rich and famous so that they can see that it's not the answer. I feel like we can say that with what 
what you mentioned. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I hope everyone checks all the boxes so they can see that that next thing, that next milestone, that next house or car or wedding is not going to be like what truly makes you fulfilled. Absolutely. And I think that, especially as women, there's so much pressure on us to hit these milestones at very specific times. So we end up making decisions that aren't necessarily based on what we truly need or want, but what society has thrust upon us as an expectation. And coming from like my origin story, like coming from Iran, having my parents give up literally their entire lives so that I could have a safer, better, more authentic future. I always remember that like my very existence is a gift. My freedom is a gift My ability to make choices for myself is a gift, and I shouldn't relinquish that so easily to societal expectations because that is exactly what my parents ran away from. And it it has been really jarring to realize that 40 years later, Iran is still in the same place. And even here in the United States, we're not exactly moving in the right direction when it comes to women's rights. And I think about this a lot. Why is it that women are so threatening that we are constantly being policed and patrolled? And I think it's because the truth is our power, our intrinsic power and worth and magic is so big that it is threatening. And instead of just busily moving along a linear path and checking the boxes, if we were to all tap into our authentic selves, our magic, our intuition, if we started showing up from a place of wholeness and love and worth, I can't even begin to imagine what our society would look like. If we showed up whole instead of broken, if we showed up as our true selves, I do believe the change that this planet needs would start coming around. And that is our kind of mission now because we can't continue the way things are going. I think that's become abundantly clear. Yeah, I really believe that on a visceral level, like aside from the energetic beauty behind being a woman, I think even if you get dystopian biological about it, we can survive on our own. Yeah. <laughs> like the fact of the matter is we can survive on our own. So but the masculine energy is important. It just gets to be healed too. And that's one thing that my partner and I talk about often because when we first started dating, he would kind of joke about how often I said the P word. The P word was the patriarchy. Like every time I would be like, oh, you know why this is this way? He goes, let me guess, the patriarchy. And I'm like, actually, yes, good job. (laughs) (laughs) And one thing that he really had to, I guess, receive or the biggest way that I think men awake to this message is by realizing that the patriarchy harms men too, if not more so. Like men's suicide rates are 17 times more. Men, you know, dying in war historically so much greater than women. So many avoidable things are put on them. And that's also part of that system of oppression called the patriarchy. So it's, I really believe that, that if every single woman harnessed their power and not to mention our ability to come together and build community and that kind of connection that 
over the generations we've really become experts at, oh my God, we would take over. I agree. And wholeness isn't an abandonment of the other. It's an embracing of the other. There is no wholeness for women without men. And I'm not even talking about gender, but like all of us together, our wholeness depends not just on self-love, but also on community. And I think that's something that during the pandemic, we lost a little bit. I think we all got so isolated and so in our own little bubbles that it's almost become uncomfortable to reemerge from that and feel comfortable around other people. And yet, if we don't, if we give up community, there is nothing left. I agree with you. Patriarchy, hugely problematic for everyone. And the solution I'm proposing isn't that, oh, women should rule, women should take over. It's that how do we elevate everyone into a society where we are all allowed to be ourselves and we don't only take care of ourselves, but we also take care of each other? Agreed. One of the advice that you, this feels like a digression, but I'm getting somewhere. One of the advice that I received about like, if somebody's attacking you or coming after you, trying to kill you, this is so dark. Oh my goodness. Um, but one of the things is to like look them in the eyes. Yeah. Because people are less likely to kill you if you make eye contact and if you look into their soul. And that's one of the things that was just so baffling about the pandemic is because we weren't looking humans in the eye, you use the word othering. We started just othering each other. And I know I was guilty of it too. And we forget that what Dr. Kristen Neff mentions in her self-compassion model is the critical aspect of common humanity. Absolutely. Like really realizing that you're whole and all of us together are whole too. One of the poems in The Shift. So The Shift is pairs of poems. So the left side of every page is the before, like the old way, the like darker way you may have thought about a situation. And then the right side is the new way, the loving way, the joyful way. And one of the poem pairs like directly relates to what we're talking about, about eye contact. Do you mind if I read it for you? It's short. I was just going to ask, do you have it on you? Because I would love for us to indulge in your poetry. Uh, Yes. So this is the before poem. No time for eye contact. No time for smiles. No time for small talk. No time for kindness. No hard feelings. There's just no time. And then this is the after. On balconies around the world, we clapped in unison. Our faces were covered, but our hearts were visible because we made the time. Oh, Melody, chills. Well, that's what we went through, right? Like we were moving a mile a minute and we didn't connect. Yeah. And yet through this collective experience, we finally had some common ground because COVID did not distinguish based on station in life, race, religion. We were all in the same boat for a moment there. Yeah. And how do we carry that energy forward and actually care for each other in that way? Yeah. Wow. I love the way they go together. And that's what you so beautifully did in self-love poetry for thinkers and feelers too, is one side was thinkers and the other side was feelers. And what I love is that it acknowledges the duality, like the bothness of the experience and and who we are. Yes. I mean, I almost 
didn't write self-love poetry because when I was reviewing my poetry, I felt shameful that it didn't follow one style. I was like, how am I going to write a book where half the poems are really short and gut punchy and then the other ones are these like long lyrical expressions? And it was only when I was willing to embrace that duality within myself that the book took shape. Mm. And even with the shift, it's really important for me that people feel acknowledged because the fear we felt, the pain we felt, the rush, all of that, that's also very valid and needs to be expressed. It's not just about positive psychology and, hey, be happy. It's about let's acknowledge what we went through and decide what we want to do next. Yes. Big yes. It reminds me, this is so funny, but every time I think about that kind of duality and embracing both, like not being in this either or space. I always think of the Giphy from, is it Jif or Giphy? Anyway, it's the scene from The Emperor's New Groove. And it's where he's like, both. Both is good. Do both. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think that's been a common theme in this conversation is that we need to embrace the both. The both is me and you. The both is my light and my darkness. The both is my fear and my joy. It's masculine, it's feminine. The both is how we get to wholeness across the board. And I've had such joy exploring it. And I've been so lucky that I've been able to write these books and connect with people as they celebrate themselves and get to know themselves because I'm lucky, like people reach out to me and tell me like the impact the books have made on their lives and how it's transformed how they love themselves or how they move through the world. And that makes me feel like I'm honoring my authentic self. Like this is what I was meant to do. And so I'm so, so lucky to be able to connect with people through the work. Mm, And you're very gifted putting into words experiences that a lot of us have held in our head, but haven't been able to articulate, let alone make peace with in our hearts. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you, Mary. Where can we find you and your books, especially your new one, The Shift? Well, I also want to add, this is brand new. I haven't actually even spoken about it publicly. I'm going to have audiobooks for the first time this season. So in addition to my books, all three books being available, I have three audiobooks available for the very first time, and I narrate them myself. And that was like the best experience of my life because I grew up as a singer and I love public speaking. And so to be able to narrate these books was a dream come true. I can't wait for you to listen and tell me what you think. But to actually answer your question, you can find me on any platform at Melody Godfred. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. (laughs) Figuring that out as a 40-year-old is interesting. I hope I'm not alone in your audience of being a little bit tech challenged, but I'm working on it. You can find me on my website, melodygodfred.com. And if you're curious about my self-love movement, you can find that at Fred and Far on Instagram and also at the website URL. Oh, and my books. My books are available everywhere, as are the audiobooks and eBooks. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, But also, please visit your local indie bookstore, and if they don't carry it, ask them to. They can and they will. I love supporting local indies, and it would mean the world to me if you took the opportunity to go to your local bookstore and enjoy the magic that that space holds, and also pick up my books there. 
Amen to that. Yes, I always, I don't know how you handle it, but it's weird because in the author world, Amazon is kind of like the big dog. And I know that that's where your first book really started taking off. Yeah. And then with indie bookstores, we really want to support them, of course, but sometimes it feels like a little bit less accessible. So totally personal question, but what is like the best way to support an author? Oh, Mary, you're asking the impossible question, but I will give the honest answer, which is for an author like me, the best thing you can do to support me is to buy the book on Amazon. And as soon as you finish, leave a review. Reviews are what give people the confidence to invest in a book or an author that maybe they haven't heard about before. It's also your way of letting the world know about your experience and the world needs your voice. So I would say if you want to make the biggest long-term impact on me as an author and my career as an author, definitely Amazon and a review. But what I will say on top of that is if the book does resonate with you, whether it's self-love poetry or The Shift or the ABCs of self-love, which is actually a guided journal. So it'll help take you through your own self-love journey. If you order it on Amazon and you love it, then go into your local bookstore and buy a copy for a friend and pay it forward both to your friend and also to the bookstore. I love that approach. Best of both worlds. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much, Melody, for sharing your wisdom with us and, again, putting into words very intricate experiences that we've all shared. I really, really appreciate your time and the work you do for us self-lovers. Thank you, Mary. The feeling is so, so mutual. Thank you for all you are and all you do. We'll have all the links to your books in the show notes, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye. Hey, self-lovers, just one more thing before we farewell. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. If you're listening on Apple, you can just scroll all the way down on the podcast homepage and at the bottom, you will see a place to leave a review. And if you're listening on Spotify on the show's homepage, there will be a little star and clicking that star will let you send in your rating. Thank you so much for listening and helping me spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, make sure you pick up my book, which is available in stores and online worldwide. Just go to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and you'll find all the links to order the gift of self-love, whether that's on Amazon, Walmart, Target, small indie bookstores, and wherever else books are sold. Again, thank you so much for your endless support. Please always remember that you are loved. I love you. And I will talk to you next time on the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Toodaloo!